from the creators who brought you RuPaul's Drag Race and Million Dollar Listing. This is World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Wow Report, where we count down the top 10 things of the week that made us go wow. Uh, I'm Fender Bailey, co-founder of World of Wonder, joined by our chief creative officer, Tom Campbell. It always sounds like a military title. I, know, <laughs> I always salute. I know. And James St. James, um, editor of the WOW Report and literary sensation. Yay, oh my God, that's me. Let's do the <laughs> countdown. All right, number 10. Number 10. I am frightened to do the show this week or ever again because of what's happening with Whoopi Goldberg. Whoopi is in hot controversy, is on a two-week leave from The View. I hope, I pray to God she returns because she misspoke about whether Judaism is a race or a culture. It's brought up some really healthy conversations. It's been clarified. She's apologized. And ABC, the head of news or whatever, has decided to put her on a two-week suspension. And it's a weird world where she's on live television talking about hot topics. We're not always right, as we know. As long as we're on this earth, there's room to learn and to grow. And I feel like Whoopi is not anti-Semitic. She is not a Holocaust denier. She brought up an issue that, to me, um, she was wrong. I think she's admitted she was wrong. And yet it's it's what race means to her, which race means to Jewish people. It's a really interesting, rich, complex issue that I think has brought been brought to light. And I've read op-eds. There was a uh, a, a person that they brought into the view to talk about it with Whoopi before she was let go. And I thought there's clarity around us. If, if everyone got two weeks sort of timeouts for misspeaking, it'd be one thing, but it's a liberal, it's a black woman. Um, I just hope she comes back. I hope that she has the strength to not just be burnt by this and to come back and do what she does so well. Cause I think Whoopi is a real national treasure on so many levels. And I love her on the view and I love the view and James is, is gritting his teeth. I am of several different minds about this. On the one hand um, you're right that it, that it happened to Whoopi, but it never really happened to Megan McCain or any of the other right-wing people when they misspoke and they sort of got a free pass on a lot of their nuttiness. Whereas Whoopi seems to be paying for it. Um, I also have read online, someone was saying that uh, Bruce Valanche, I think, was tweeting about it today and was saying that he he's known Whoopi forever and ever and there's not a hateful bone in her body and there's not a racist bone in her body. But what is happening at this particular point in history is that she is a black woman and as a black woman, she sees the word race or she sees it and is immediately thinking black, black and white. And she doesn't realize, she, she didn't stop to think that race, that, you know, Judaism is, is, is a race. It's a culture. It's a religion. Uh, it's all those things. Yes. And, and the so, Nazis used a, a superior race, inferior race in their rhetoric, in their propaganda that created horrible atrocities. Anyway. Yeah. Now, um, Whoopi is a national treasure. Yes. But 
there have been many, many, many instances where she will go to the mat defending Mel Gibson. She'll go to the mat defending a lot of people who I don't, who I think are a little indefensible. And she has said in the past, I don't think Mel Gibson is racist because he was never racist with me. Well, he's not going to be racist with Whoopi Goldberg. You know I mean? That's she's, she's, she's an EGOT. She's nobody is going to be, she's not going to see it in any of her friends when it's there. And so sometimes I am not on Whoopi's side. This case I am. Right. And not being on Whoopi's side is okay. like, we do have freedom of speech. You can disagree with Whoopi. I think we're all capable. We'd like to think we're all so fucking woke and we're all speak and pearls come out of our mouths and we've been fully realized our entire lives. It's not true. We are learning. We are growing. Things are changing. We are adapting. Well, actually, I just want to chime in on that point because I, I, you know, I look at the issue and think of it in terms of all this controversy that's going on, this sort of broader issue. And it seems to me that we're really struggling with the whole idea of identity. And I'm kind of like, why is it such a lightning rod or an issue, the whole idea of identity at this time? And I just want to throw it out there that I think that that partly the the sort of it's only going to get more complicated uh, with, you know, I think so much of our lives are lived on television and on screens, bringing us into contact with people that previously in a pre-screen age era, we would never have heard of, never even interacted with. So suddenly we're all in it together in a way we never were before. And it's only going to get more complicated with the with the metaverse. And I think that so identity is at the forefront of our minds. And I think we just need to generally, if possible, be more forgiving, as Tom says, as we all make mistakes and try to figure this out. Because it's but, the but same unfortunately, way. what happens is that we want to be more forgiving to the people on the left than we are on the right, because we tend to attack the people on the right. Totally. On the, and the totally. people on the right tend to attack us. There is there is that divide where I'm not as really willing to be forgiving. I'm willing to be forgiving for Whoopi, but not for Megan McCain. Oh, absolutely. I get it. I mean, you know, when you think of all the racist, heinous things he who shall not be named said, no yeah. one put him on suspension as president for two weeks. Yeah. I mean... It's an extraordinary double standard, but I think then we get misled. We end up in this da 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 da, and we make no real progress in terms of the bigger issue that that is confronting us all in terms of racial, sexual, gender. It is a complicated thing, and it's not going to get. I guess that is the takeaway right there: is that that there is no right or wrong answer to any of this, and that it is all something we need to continually suss out for the rest of our lives. I just go to what Tammy Faye said: you know, we're all made out of the same dirt, and God doesn't make any junk. I love that, and I love you, Whoopi Goldberg. I hope I yes. hope to see you back in the View. All right, well, let's move on. Um, James, number nine. Number nine. I'm going to lighten the mood a little bit because I want to talk about a Netflix series that I've been obsessed with. It's The Woman in the House Across the Street from the Girl in the Window. I don't know if you guys have seen this. It is so bonkers. It is the craziest show you will ever watch in the history of Netflix. It's Kristen Bell, and it is a parody of every one of those rear window type movies where a woman witnesses a murder and nobody believes her. And it's then, you know, she's watching a car, you know, from the window across to the people across the street, and she sees something and she calls the police. And of course, nothing happened. Like, like it didn't happen. And everyone thinks that she's a drunk. And it's, um, it's, so deadpan it is done 
in the most straight-faced manner, and it just gets completely there's layer upon layer upon layer of these jokes and you start thinking like was that a joke and then like like you think a joke is coming but it doesn't come and you're like wait was it a joke that there was no joke or like it just keeps layering and layering and there's like these things it's so stupid where she keeps making casseroles for people it's like this like running joke where every time wherever she goes she's bringing a casserole for someone and like she goes to visit her daughter's dead grave and she goes to get and she like leaves the casserole for her daughter's grave and like in the and she also passes out anytime there's rain. And in the very beginning, she's bringing a casserole to the new neighbors across the street, and it starts to rain. And she looks up and she falls to the ground, and the casserole breaks all around her. And you get this Hitchcockian like view of the rain coming down on her butt. It's just so stupid, and yet it's hard to explain it. I'm not doing it justice, but it's yeah. Your giggle is selling it 110%. Exactly. I want to just stop the show right now and go and watch Woman in the Street and a Window Across the Rift. Is it a series or a movie? It's a series. It's nine, it's nine episodes. And um, the I, I don't smoke pot. I don't do edibles. Really? But I have a feeling that anyone who does is going to get 10 times out of it what I got because – you it's just you just don't understand what's going on it is so funny how many episodes in are you and do you have any idea where it's going i'm it's seven episodes and it's starting to go off the rails it's i'm not in i mean in a good way like i'm starting to be like what is that i didn't see that part coming i didn't see that coming and it's just it's so funny all right that is um could you just say the title? It's the woman in the it's the woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window. <laughs> sure. Streaming on Netflix. All right. Number eight. Number eight. Oh my gosh. I know Tom normally does the rest imperfections, but we did lose someone this past week who mm. is has proven to be, I think, in death, bizarrely, suddenly everybody's recognized. Do you know what I mean? His name is James Bidgood, and he was. Gosh, I don't even know how to describe him, but famous basically for making a movie called Pink Narcissus. One this movie, was a movie in his life. He, he made one movie, movie right? that is a hell of a movie. Go ahead. Took him six years to make in his tiny Manhattan apartment. He died in that apartment, I believe. He lived out all of his life. Um, it's an hour long. I actually frantically tried to find it because I've always seen clips from it and stills but oh, wait, I never you, actually have, seen have, you, have you never seen it before i've never seen the whole thing but i watched it on youtube it's on youtube oh. anyone within the sound of my voice go to youtube right now and watch it this is the ground zero for all the work of pierre and gilles who are these i was gonna say pierre and gilles it's david la chapelle it's gautier every single one of them Absolutely. has just taken from this and in a, in a beautiful way you know in a tribute way Yes. yes, absolutely. And of course, Fassbender's uh, Corral yes, is yes. completely, and it's that, so what is it? It's that gorgeous 50s, 60s pinup boy, but with classical illusions, a Greek or Roman motif. Sometimes, sometimes the boys are matadors, sometimes they're, you know, fairies, sometimes, and they're all in these just, in the, the saturated, the pinks and the blues and Jordan. the purples. And yes. it's so gorgeous. And Bobby Kendall, who is the single star of the film. Oh, is, the most beautiful boy on the planet. Is the most beautiful boy on the planet, in the universe, 
in the history of all time. In the history have- of mankind, there has never been a more beautiful boy just photographed more lovingly and more with with such care and just it just right. it's yeah it's unbelievable it, it really is and and the story of the film such as it is is he is a male prostitute in love with himself hence narcissus and he has these fantasies these sort of um eastern exotic belly dancing fantasies or uh, bullfighting fantasies but intercut with the most not explicit but there's a gorgeous scene in a bathroom where he had sex with a tea room sex. And it's the whole thing is sort of surreal and intense. And he's so beautiful that even the he's outside in a thunderstorm and even the plants make love to him and twist around him. It's, it's a real classical. Not only does he have the most beautiful face that God has ever made. He has the most perfect ass that anyone has. It makes Beyonce's ass. I mean, it is just the chewiest, most gorgeous thing you've ever seen in your life. He's in these gorgeous, like legging pants that are so thin and you see every curve, um, both back and front. I would say he seems to be in a permanent state of, semi-engorgement uh <laughs> oh my god i gotta say i've read some of people posting about him this past week i did not know the full story i've never seen is it called pink narcissus pink narcissus yes and pink it's narcissus. one of those it's one i think i need movies. to leave the broadcast right now and go watch you guys have got me a little happy it's one of those movies like um uh, uh what's big ed little ed like um gray gardens it's like Grey Gardens that homosexuals hear about all their lives. Mm-hmm. And it was very difficult to find in the pre-internet age. You really, people would hear about it for years and years and years. And it might show up once in a while in an art house movie or something like that. But once you see it, you will never, ever forget it. Tashin uh, found him, uh, I don't know, Dennis Demodi, the film critic, found him and did a monograph. So Tashin published a book about him about mm, 15, 20 years ago. It has been rediscovered. When the film came out, it was anonymous. Um, oh, and the yeah. reason it was anonymous was he'd had a big fight with the film editors because being the perfectionist he was, this took seven years to make. So I can imagine he wasn't that fast in the edit room. And <laughs> the, the, I found online a, a half-hour documentary about him where he tells the story that he was so mad, um, he took an axe and went to the film building where they were film, where they were editing his film, and he was going to cut them up the way his film had been cut up. And then <laughs> as he, he couldn't find the edit suite, unfortunately, as he was trying to find the edit suite, he realized this would be a bad thing to do, and that chopping up the editors was not a good thing. So he took his axe and he went home. The other reason he said he didn't do it, Tom, you will relate to this, is because he had seven cats. And if he, <laughs> if he killed these people and went to jail, who would look after his cats? So he saw sense, he saw the light, but oh my God, if you do have the chance, it is the most beautiful piece it's of work. Just, it, it is, it is stun- It is like, it comes from another world. It's another dimension or something. Yes. But I do want to say also that James Bidgood um, was somebody like Quentin Crisp in New York that you saw even in his 70s and 80s, he was still going out and he was still a friend. To, you could call him up and you could like interview him. And he was always very good to young homosexuals and filmmakers. And, and he was a wonderful, wonderful character. And he was still going out as of last week. I think he was at some, he was at some party or club and he's nine, he was 90 some years old. 88. So. He was 88. 
I have a feeling, Dave, we haven't. This is just the beginning of a huge James Bidgood renaissance. I know yep. that there's a, a restoration. Uh, Michael Lumpkin, a friend, is is working on a restoration of Pink Narcissus, which will be very exciting. I just think, you know, oh my God, now there's a Netflix series. My God, we should be like, I got to stop this right now. There's so many things to do based on this episode. We, I don't know if we're going to come back after after this part, but we'll take a quick break. <laughs> Uh, and then hopefully maybe carry on with our countdown of the top 10 things that made us go, wow. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. All right, welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with Tom and James St. James. We're counting down the top 10 things this week that made us go wow. I just want to tell you, the first episode of RuPaul's Drag Race UK versus the World, streaming now on Wow Presents Plus, BBC Three, if you're in the UK, and it it had a transformative effect on all culture as we know it, especially uh, Jimbo's very meme-filled uh, interpretive dance performance art with lunch and yes. meat. Yeah, lunch and meat was involved. Mm-hmm. Just have to go see it and check it out yourselves. Uh, it's really, I think it's a gaggingly amazing. All right, let's carry on with the countdown. Number seven, top. Number seven. I watched half of the highly anticipated, very promoted, very well-rated Janet Jackson documentary. Oh, yeah. Amy and Lifetime. I will go on record that I was and continue to be a huge Janet Jackson fan. Her music was breakthrough. To be the sister of Michael Jackson, oops, um, and Michael had such a huge imprint on music and that Janet was able to forge her own path is amazing. I remember being on the dance floor in Central Square and in, in, in Cambridge, Mass at a dance club and hearing like nasty for the first time and thinking gong, 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 boom, gong, 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 gong. I'd never heard anything quite like that before that was like non-melodic yet incredibly melodic and love all of it. So here it is. She's a Jackson. The Jackson family is Roy is, is American royalty, right? They, they are so full of mystery. Finally, all of this is going to come clean, you know, uh, and it's, it's not satisfying. I mean, it's incredible. Like wiki page, Janet's interviewed. They kind of set it up. Like, you know, Janet said, had these people come out to follow her on tour for three months and they've been following her for seven years. And at one point, Hector Elizondo was at her secret husband at one point. Um, he, you know, he videotaped them for the 10 years they were together. This footage has never been seen until now, but in that Jackson style. And I say this with love as a huge Janet fan, they are very protective, you know, and you feel like you just, you, 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 I don't know that I get a lot more insight than I did that she has a very tumultuous relationship with her father. She feels like she's at peace with it now, which is great. And, and I'm not saying be exploitive about it, but I don't get a lot of insight. The one quote she says is that because they are big disciplinarians and Joe Jackson is credited with creating the Jacksons. If it wasn't for his drive, they would not be where they are. But they said that like discipline without love is tyranny and he was not a tyrant. So that's kind of, you know, but you get things like that. But that, but that doesn't give you a lot is, of insight. Is, wait, hold on. But if you have this documentary coming out and you've got to you've got to give something, you've got to get have there's gotta be a get, there's gotta be some some, you know, we didn't know this. And to have your we didn't know this be that Joe Jackson was was a disciplinarian. I mean, that's something we've known for 45 years. It's a little bit and the reason I stopped watching, and I will pick it back up, but it's you know, four hours, is 
the, they, you know, Lifetime had to put it into pieces. So in order to like get you to go to watch the second one, they're like, secret baby. Did Janet Jackson have a secret baby with James Abar? Secret baby, secret baby, secret baby. And then you come and back. And the answer is no. <laughs> we exactly. But she, she doesn't even say no. She goes, I would never hide a child from its father. She never says no. It's it's a little bit of that Jackson playbook where it's like, mm-hmm. if, you know, surrounded by controversy that they created or didn't and never really cutting through it. There's stuff about Justin Timberlake later that I've read about. I haven't seen it yet where she says that she and Justin are friends to this day that they're over it. They hope everyone else gets over it. I want Janet to be happy. So I'm glad these things have transpired. It, there's not a lot of insight. She's an executive yeah. producer. Um <laughs> But it, and, and it's got great archive. Well, therein lies the, 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 the key. If, if she's producing a tell-all about herself, she gets to pick and choose what, what gets, you know. But I also, to be honest, I've always found Janet, I mean, I love her music and stuff, but I've always found it to be completely non-revelatory. Just completely, a completely blank slate in terms of, in, just, this seems to me, Tom, what you're talking about, like consistent with her yes. public persona, which is sort of absent, basically. Right. And 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 knowing where she came from, and you know, she has, she always had secret relationships. And and I respect that considering the fishbowl that she grew up in. But I guess I was just expecting, and it was kind of promoted like, okay, finally we're gonna get some insight. And I don't feel like we get that much insight, but it's still the first two hours are a fun ride. I will watch the next two hours, but uh, you know. Uh, it's it's a little bit um, of a kind of like a Amy biography, but but not um, whatever. <coughs> I know Wait, she used to do that stuff for you, but what has she done for you lately? Thank you. <laughs> All right, that's um, what is it called, Tom? It's, I mean, it's a Janet Jackson mega doc, right? But what's it? That's all you need to know. Oh yeah, okay. It's, it's on Lifetime, right? A and E, both good. Everything, everything now. Number six, James. Number six. Uh, I watched Looking for Mr. Goodbar on Turner Classic Movies last week, the 1977 Diane Keaton movie uh, that was so controversial and such a lightning rod uh, of a movie in the 1970s. And I watched it. It's streaming on, on Turner Classic Movies, and I don't know if I can tell you to watch it. It depends on who you are because... Uh, it's about a murder. It's about a true story about a woman who was a teacher, a, an elementary school teacher, and she had a double life. And she would go to sleazy pickup bars and pick up just men every single night. And she was, you know, trying to balance this, going into work and teaching deaf children. And then she would go out and just pick up these tawdry, tawdry men and just do this, have sleazy, sleazy sex. It and. I started, I was thinking like, is it like the exorcist where, you know, in the 1970s, people were throwing up and running out of the movies and people were picketing in the moral majority and, or, and you watch it now and it's sort of like campy and silly and you don't, you don't really get why. And the first it's two and a half hours long in the first hour, nothing happens. And I was like, this is ridiculous. It's every seventies cliche. It's just silly. She's teaching deaf children. She's her parents are, you know, a stern disciplinarian, they're Irish Catholic. She moves out. She ends up getting this apartment and she moves into Times Square. And so every day she's sort of passing. I mean, this is when Times Square was Times Square. It was bad. It was bad. And she starts going to these bars and she's bringing a book and she sits in the corner and reads her little book as while well, all this stuff is going on around her. And then she picks up Richard Gere one night. 
and Richard Gere is as hot as Richard Gere is ever going to be. And he's crazy. And he's sort of got this knife and he's holding it against her while they're having sex. And she's a little turned on by the danger of it. And so she starts picking up more and more men and it gets more and more tawdry, more and more lurid. It, I literally am sick to my stomach watching it. And I have lived some lurid scenes. I have been through some tawdry, tawdry sex. Okay, and when I tell you that this is unlike this is so disturbing and so upsetting the way it keeps building and building and she keeps finding herself with these just awful people in these awful tenement slum, like just having just this just this disgusting sex with these disgusting people. And she just keeps she's coming to work fucked up. She's missing work. She's just it just keeps getting darker and darker and darker and darker until the very end. She no, I'm. It's it's you. You know from the beginning that this is the story. She picks up Tom Berenger, and this sort of slides off the rails a little bit because, and, and I have to tell you all of this because because it's sort of interesting where this is going. Um, is that he is a gay man? He's a transvestite, and he can't get it up for her, and that's why he stabs her, which is totally not what happened in real life but for some reason the, the director just wanted to get that in there and it could never fly today you could never have that be a plot point right that, that he's he can't get it up so he, he stabs her but what's interesting about all of this and i'm bringing this to you fenton because this is something that that we have talked about ad nauseum where this is one of the first times you have a story and it's almost always from the murderer's point of view. Why is he a murderer? Why did what is his backstory? Why did he become a murderer? Why did he kill this person? Da 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 da. da. And that is every murder TV show, every murder movie that you ever get. And this is told from the point of view of the victim. And it is why was she the victim? Why was she the person who was in the wrong place at the wrong time? Why was she the person who would end up with this person? And it's just it's the whole two and a half hours is leading up to this last five minutes where she just happens to be in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong person. And we have been accused of, you know, why did we tell the murderer's story in Party Monster as opposed to the victim's story, which is Angel. And not many people do that. And when you do it, it gives it a whole other, like, like it could have been the story of the murderer and how he ended up killing this woman, but it isn't. It's the story of this woman's descent into this madness that ended up in this very violent uh, chaos that she ended up just being in this chaotic pull that she couldn't get out of. Does it feel misogynistic? Yes. To watch it, you are literally you you are flagellating yourself for keep for every minute that you keep watching it. And it is like I said, I am physically repulsed by this movie. And I am not somebody who it's like um, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, where you just remember as you're watching that the first time. I don't know if you've ever seen it where you just get physically sick because it's so graphic and so disgusting. But it is the story that is true in this poor woman. Like I said, she just happened to get caught up in this hurricane of violence that she couldn't get out of. And it ended up where it did. And it's just if you if you can stomach it, watch it. Diane Keaton's performance is funny because it's the same year that she did Annie Hall and you could not get more diametrically different performances out of this woman. And it, she, you, it's because it's Diane, you love her and you are rooting for her, even though you know that it's just get it. It's, it's getting worse and darker and darker. Wow. 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 
very compelling. I mean, I, I'm sort of wanting to watch it and also not wanting to watch it at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Looking it's, for Mr. It, Good, it's, it's, a, it's a hard one, and, but it's, it's, it's an important movie, and it was a seminal movie in the 1970s. Right. Well, number five. Number five. I think we have a seminal series for our time that is retelling a story that happened in the mid-90s. It is Pam and Tommy, which is streaming <laughs> now on Hulu. It is a 10-part. Wow. I don't know how they're going to get 10 hours out of this. I mean, I'm on <laughs> 10-part retelling, essentially, of the story of Pam and Tommy's celebrity sex tape that went public in 1995. And really, yeah, it is a milestone. In terms of well, the celebrity sector. It was a turning point in that this is how we got to where we are now with uh, with every sex tape, with every, you know, with Paris Hilton, with Kim Kardashian. I mean, only fans. Yeah. Only fans. Yes. The point is, of course, though, before that point, sex tapes would ruin your career, like Rob Lowe, for example, in his sex tape. And I, uh, but, uh, and I do think the whole idea of the sex tape is a profoundly complicated thing is it revenge porn you know what what are the ethics of it and but i feel it's one of the one of the many complications of the screen age in which we live so i tuned in excited to watch especially since uh it's directed by um craig gillespie who did i tanya um directed i tanya the tanya harding movie and and it's got Seth Rogen in it, and he's very good. I sometimes find Seth Rogen is very Seth Rogen, but in this, I was actually, oh, is that Seth Rogen? You know, so he's nuanced. And Does Seth play Pam or Tommy? <laughs> he plays the carpenter, and it begins ah. with a great scene in which he's building a bed in their house, and Pam and Tommy are fucking upstairs, and he intercuts their noises with the nail gun going zunk, 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 and he's trying to like. It's it's a great scene. Um, and you think, well, if they can keep this up, as it were, it's going to be great. Um, yeah. The person playing Pamela and the person playing Tommy, they're both great. I sort of... How many sort of episodes been, into it are you? I'm three out of ten. Uh-huh. Um, the, the, the story, there is a great backstory about how the tape came into the carpenter's hands. Um, it revolves around him, Tommy, like basically firing him from the job and he gets his revenge by stealing their safe. He opens the safe. He gets the money he's owed, some guns, and he also finds this tape. And I think the critical thing about this tape is that unlike other sex tapes before that, this was at the dawn of the Internet. And that ended up being the um, what is the word? Um, the magic, uh, the vector the vector, the way to distribute this and get it out there. And I think that's why it became something unlike any other sex tape before it. There is a fantastic scene where Tommy's penis, Tommy Lee's penis talks to him. And you see the penis talking on his, it's a very realistic penis and it's animated and it's got a, it takes me back to Sausage Party, that movie Sausage Party. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that, you, that you took your son to. <laughs> But it's this is very realistic looking. It doesn't look like a prosthetic penis. It's like actually there and talking. And uh-huh. uh, it, it's really got some things. And um, But there's just one too many scenes that they're just out of it, drunk, drug, 
in a club partying. And it's like, after you've seen six of those scenes, how many more can you watch? I mean, literally a dozen, they have a great music track and there's music and it's a club and it's noisy and everybody's drinking. It's like, okay, okay. Like I get it, you know? Well, I um, remember you always, it always stuck with me that you had told me one time that, that a, a club scene or a party scene is almost unfilmable because it's such a visceral experience that you have to sort of experience it yourself and it doesn't ever translate onto film. And it's always more interesting what is happening in the side rooms than the actual party. And it's so true, James. I mean, I think because I said it, <laughs> it's so flat. All the club scenes are kind of flat. The music's pumping yeah. and people are going, yay. But you're like, I am so bored. And yeah. And the best time I ever felt it worked was when Michael goes to see Peter Gation in his office and the party's going on downstairs and you can hear the... Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's always what's happening in the side room. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just have one marketing note on this thing, which I think was a real missed opportunity. It should have been in 10 and a half episodes. (laughs) (laughs) That is so true. Viewers might be surprised to know that internationally... This is on Disney Plus. I was like, what? It's on Hulu in the States, but Disney Plus internationally. Disney Plus clearly has a different brand outside of (laughs) Europe and America. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. But I do recommend it. I'm just not sure how far I'm going to get through it. Um, They they get married and they're sat on the... It's a great scene where they're sat on the plane after they've been married and had this sort of amazing sex hot honeymoon. And they realize sitting in business class in seats next to each other, they don't know each other. And they're like, uh, what's your favorite food? And it's like this um, awkward conversation that because you have 10 hours, there's no rush to get through it. And the longer it goes on, the more awkward it, it becomes. So it's kind of great. Um, let's take a break. Dragon returns to LA Convention Center May 13th and 14th and 15th. Get your tickets, rubelsdragon.com. We'll be right back after the break. You're listening to Wow Report on Radio Andy. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report. Fenton here with James and Tom. We're counting down the top 10 things that made us go wow this week. We've reached number four. Number four. I'm going to keep this brief because we have an extra special guest joining us in the number one slot. Um, But, you know, last week I talked to you about the most important thing in the world, which was Wordle. And this week we find out that Wordle was bought by the New York Times for low seven figures, which I love trying to figure out what that might be. Um, and I found out a little bit more that the creator is a gentleman named Josh Wardle, who the, 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 the name of the game is, is a play on his name, and that he invented this during um, the, the, the COVID for him and his girlfriend just to have something to do. And it premiered, I think, in October. It wasn't an app. It was a website. And it's become a huge thing, um, which we know about. And he's from Wales. He went to he went to Silicon Valley, Wordle. So it just, it's a little bit of this crazy new world American success story, right? And and it also speaks, the New York Times bought it. And I, have, I pay for the New York Times. I encourage everyone to, uh, for an online digital subscription. And I do spend the majority of my time interacting with the New York Times doing spelling bee and the crossword puzzle and the other uh, games. So gaming is a huge part of that stickiness that uh, the New York Times needs, not news, but games 
and now well, uh, we're. I, I think it. It, I I was a little saddened by the fact that it was like lowballed at like a million dollars or something because you know that in a year it's going to be worth a billion or something. And but I mean, he did do it just for his girlfriend, and it's nice that he got a million dollars out of something he did in October. But it still seems like I wish that it would have been a little. You would have gotten a bigger payday out of it, maybe. I wonder how, because there's all these ripoffs, right? Swerdle and stuff I was telling you about. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious how copyrightable it is. But um, uh, yeah. But 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 it's uh, and it, it is sad because there's this moment, this zeitgeist moment where everyone's sharing it, where it's free, where there's one a day, which makes it like you know, there's no time pressure. There's no that uh, you can't spend your whole day on it like I do on spelling bee. Um, don't let Fenton, my boss, know this, by the way. Um, but uh, say. <laughs> Very busy. I'm very busy. Call you back. <laughs> anyway, um, that's that's the Wordle update. Number three, James. Number three. Well, I as long as we're doing updates, I want to update you on Days of Our Lives because <laughs> um, I, we, I talk about it all the time and nobody watches it except for me. But I did want to sort of tell you what's happening. You know, the devil is still uh, in, in Salem causing all sorts of problems. But they brought back these two characters that were on the show about 20 years ago, Dr. Craig Wesley and his wife, Nancy, Nurse Nancy. And 20 years ago, they were um, they were sort of beloved. They were very much beloved on the show. She's an actress played by Patrika Darbo, who you see on commercials all the time. She's a big woman, a big, big woman, a big, happy, gorgeous, fabulous woman. She's sort of like an Edie McClure type, right? And he is... Um, Dr. Craig Wesley, it was an evil scheming doctor, but he's very good looking. And she was a scheming nurse and the two of them would scheme together and people loved them because he just loved her. There was never any, any, any mention that she was a big woman and that he was a handsome man in love with a big woman. It was just taken for granted that he just loved her no matter what. And people... In soap opera land, that's very strange because everybody is skinny and beautiful. And she was, she really stood out. And people, I think the women at home could identify with her. And she was very, well, so now they've brought them back and they're older now and they have gray hair. And he comes back and he is having an affair with someone. And Nancy finds out about it and come to find out that the affair, he's having an affair with a man. And oh. he has been gay this whole time. And it's sort of sad because you love the fact that these couple, this couple was in love and it was just a given. And now that he's gay, it sort of puts a whole sad, sad twist on their whole story. You know? Don't tell me the ending. He can't get it up and he stabs her. <laughs> yes, yes. But it's so funny because in they have a daughter on the show and the daughter has found out that he's gay. And in true soap opera fashion, it has gone on for about a month now where every conversation is Nancy, you must hear the whole story. And Nancy will say, I don't care who he's with. I tell that floozy, tell that woman. No, Nancy, no, Nancy. There's more to the story. You have to hear the whole story. I don't care. No, no, mother, mother, please go into the other room with father and let father tell you the truth of what is happening. And that just goes on and on and on and on. And um, it's just, it's, it's just, it's, it's funny, but it's sad because I really wish that they would have really been in love because I like the idea that. Oh, oh, now the, the, stop, the, 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 stop, 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 stop. They could have been in love. 
Yeah, no, I, it's true. And he keeps saying, I've always loved you, Nancy, but there's just something else you need to know. I know that in real life. I know couples who have had that same storyline where there's, you know, where one comes out later in life, but there was a real love and a real bond and a real relationship and a family and all that stuff. Well, that, well that's just it. Does We know that on the LGBTQ spectrum that, like, Caitlyn came out late in life. But are there still men coming out late in life? Does that still happen? It does. It does, James. It really does. I mean, because I think you realize that the coming out process is something about yourself rather than society, right? It's like where you are with yourself. Um, Oh, my gosh. I could go on about that forever. But um... Well, well, that's just it, because I wasn't sure whether that still happened anymore or whether this was just like a, a whether it was it, it is an interesting story to tell. And they are telling it. I know three people in my peer group, my age, my generation, who all came out in their 40s or 50s and had families and wives and are still close to the, the wives and the, the kids. So no matter what. No matter what, there is always a, your coming out story is personal and it's it, it's different for every single person. Yeah, I'm going to take that to four. I know four people. I know four wow. people. Wow. What? Hey, what? I know what I wanted to ask you. What's happened to the woman who was possessed by Satan? Well, they had an exorcist on Christmas Day. They had an exorcism on Christmas Day, and the devil went from her into her grandson's body. And her grandson, Giovanni, is just so hot. And he's just going, he has the yellow contacts, and he walks around, and he's, but he's like this hot 19 year old boy possessed by Satan, and he's causing all sorts of trouble. I think Satan is just just really making this whole thing hot again, right? Like they can't afford to lose Satan. He just has to hop from character to character. He does, yeah, he keeps going from person to person. It's funny. Number two. Number two. It's really a question for you guys. Um, I saw a clip, Farron um from World of Wonder showed me and Tom a clip earlier this week of um a sexual harassment in the metaverse. So we're on a beach and um, she's standing there and then this guy comes up and offers her a coconut with one hand and with the other hand puts his arm on her shoulder and the avatar reacts, get away from me. Yeah, there you go, like coconut. Get away from me, don't touch me. And then this dude comes up and says, stay away from her. And the whole thing is, we need to talk about sexual harassment in the metaverse. I don't understand what this metaverse is. What are you talking about? Why why do you keep saying metaverse? The metaverse is supposed to be the replacement for the internet. And Facebook has renamed itself Meta and they're developing it. And the idea being, James, that you, you get up, you go to work, you're not going anywhere, you're sitting in front of your computer, but you're on the screen with your headset, you see a virtual office. And in your virtual office, there is you. You come towards me and say, hi, Femin, how are you? And I'm like, I'm good, thank you, how are you? Or just, fuck you. And and then I come by with a coconut drink and say, hey, James, drink this, drink this, and touch your shoulder. Stop it, stop harassing me. (laughs) So so it's it's our avatars are living in a a virtual world. Virtual reality. Okay, okay. And the idea is that that's where we're all going to live and work. Um, it seems a little bleak to me. Uh, you know, I've seen some pictures of the metaverse and the office doesn't look very nice and the beach well, wait doesn't a minute. look very Here, nice. Here's my question, though, is why would it matter if my avatar is getting sexually harassed? It's not me. I don't care. That's this the point. Is the future of moral ethics. It's unfolding in front of our eyes. I have no answers. 
I have no answers either. Well, but you I can did do whatever read. you want to my my avatar. Can't you? I mean, you can do. Well, here you go. And- okay, so in the UK, uh, Nina Jane Patel, she went into the metaverse, and her avatar was immediately grabbed and raped by three men, and she found it. Well, right, she found that very traumatizing. I mean, I at first I thought when I saw that thing, we need to talk about sexual harassment in the matter. I was like, do we? I mean, it's, it's, it's like you. It's like, it's not real. How can it be real? Yeah, but yeah. then on the other hand, if you're watching something and if that something is a representation of you, it's not like watching Looking for Mr. Goodbar. It's like you're watching Looking for Mr. Goodbar and you are, what's her face? In like you know, like we, I could deep fake my face into Diane Keaton and if your yeah. avatar was that, well, if you, James St. James, go into the metaverse as someone, as you, as your avatar, and you get raped, I mean, how do you feel? It's like hate speech on, you know, it's like internet but bullying. this metaverse I, thing, this metaverse thing is going to catch on. How can it not? Because you'll always be what you want to look like. You won't have to leave your house and worry about getting COVID. And right. it'll be our, you know, right now it's- I can cool wear what whatever McQueen I want, or I can dress however I want that I can't afford in real life. And here's a theory. You're out of way to charge you. Here's a theory I want to lay on you, James. I think the club kids were the first iteration of the metaverse. I think they were prefiguring it because they, you were in the in the club world. You were you weren't well. You were James St. James, but obviously I won't reveal. I won't name your real name. But like everybody had a different identity and looked like a kind of living, breathing cartoon creation in this other world where all the Standard all the rules and regulations of the so-called real it's world. It's true. We were we always said we were in a bubble where, where no rules applied and we could be whoever we wanted to be. Yes. And I think that does prefigure this metaverse. I believe you. I can see that. Yeah. I would like to reveal James St. James' real name for the first time ever, right here. Leonard Snurdle. <laughs> hey, um, Leonard. Blake has asked a really good question. Are the avatars that raped are controlled by real people, or is it the simulation? They are con- they are controlled by real people. Is it Russian bots? Is it is it this? I mean, there's so much that is going to unravel in our society, and so many moral decisions. Because who are the people you're talking to? Is it really you know Leonard Schnurdle, or is but, it but is it a minute, Russian how bot? Can it be, but how can it be a crime to rape someone in the in in the metaverse if you're playing? War, World of Warcraft or Doom or something, and you're 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 raping, you're killing prostitutes online in some, you know, how is that different than this? Because to this point, that has been a game, and those are creations of a game. They're not actual representations of actual. Yeah, people. Grand Theft Auto. But like, how, what is the yeah. difference between killing someone in Grand Theft Auto and killing someone in a cartoon metaverse? I don't I, see a difference. But I but know. is it a cartoon metaverse or is it our new reality that we will go to work? via the metaverse where we will represent ourselves via these people and that it will be our reality. We're going to be together all day long in the metaverse because we work together. And then you harass me in my workplace, which happens to be simulated because of disease and computer connection and la la la. la. It's a whole new world and it's coming. I think I I I agree. It is coming. I laughed at the idea when Zuckerberg renamed Facebook as a metaverse, but but I do think it is coming, and coming with it is a whole shitload of complexity, the likes of which I kind of don't want to face. I kind of liked it when, okay, you're watching something on the screen, and that's it. It's not real. And that, but I, I'm like, oh, God, I'm freaking out now a little bit. 
Don't All right, we're going to take a quick break. I'm very excited for to reveal our number one. Uh, we have a very special guest. Um, so stay tuned. We'll be right back after the break. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. All right, welcome back to the Wow Report. We have been counting down the top 10 things this week that make us go wow. But I'm so honored and excited and just like thrilled to welcome Jeej because your show, Leave It to Jeej, is our number one. Number one. It should have been 10 through one and it'll be every week. Look, it's on Lifetime. Jeej, tell us a little bit about the show because I think you're the best person to talk about it. It's your life. It's my life. So about 10 years ago, I had this idea for a show because everything I was seeing when my son was first diagnosed with autism was kind of gloom and doom. And that's just not the way I live my life. I'm like a glass is half full person. So, um, and this is many years ago, Pooty, my son is now 19. So he was diagnosed very young at 18 months and there was nothing in the media about it. But once I started seeing things, it was kind of all negative and, oh, this is a struggle. You know, nobody talked about the joys of autism. My life right now is 10 times more full and happy than it ever was before autism. If I could wave a magic wand and make him not autistic, I would never do it. I would miss him. You know, he's perfect the way he is. He brings shit to the table every day that nobody else ever does. And I just wanted to share that kind of a point of view with people. And I think now is a good time, you know, with more shows, not a lot, but with more shows coming about about our marginalized community that really doesn't have much of a voice at all. I think now the time is right. You know, we have like love on the spectrum and the good doctor. It's time for a reality show that follows the lives of in this case, several young adults with autism, all in different places in their lives. So it's um, it's an honor to make it. We had so much fun making it. And I think if we did our job right, you're not even going to realize you're watching a show about autism. You're going to have so much I fun. was just going to say that I, I love you, Jeej. We've been trying to get this show on the air together for many, many years. Uh-huh. Lifetime took the chance, has put it on the air. Um, but it... It's at the heart of it, not even at the heart of it, at the front of it, it is an incredible cast of characters. It, you have yeah. an incredible extended family, chosen family, yeah, real it's, family. It's, yeah, the chosen family as well as the, 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 your family. That's I'm it. sort of interested in how it was that you came to World of Wonder and how was it that World of Wonder found you and how did it all begin? So... I had a friend who had a friend at CAA and, you know, I put my idea, I had filmed a little homemade sizzle, put my idea in front of that person. They took it to World of Wonder and World of Wonder loved it. And that was probably seven, eight years ago. Um, We made a pilot back then and I feel like the timing just wasn't right. I think right now people are talking about autism more and more and they're ready for it. I think it's probably more interesting, honestly. Right now, my children are older. You know, it's kind of, they've got great storylines. And um, so, yeah, I just think that the timing's right. And World of Wonder, you know, it loves to represent people of all abilities. You know, they celebrate everybody for exactly who they are. And it's the perfect pairing. It does. It, it feels like such a great, it feels like a fit that was just meant to be. It was meant to be. And and here's here's the truth and breaking news is the show has been on Lifetime. It is being paused, taken off the air because Lifetime is trying to find the right slot for it. Right now, it was after 
married at first sight. Yeah. Not necessarily compatible programming. The good yeah. news is, is that very few people, more people need to watch this. More people need to let Lifetime know that it needs to find a slot. And Lifetime, again, is doing their best to do that. Right. But the episodes one, two, and three, which are so charming and so yeah. lovely and so life-fulfilling and not a bummer. I, it's just, I, it's just, it's the best kind of reality sitcom you're ever going to watch with the most incredible incredibly crazy sorry Gigi. It characters i like to surround myself with people who bring it you know i don't want any yeah. basic bitches any filler bitches in my life so it's just this big crazy bunch of characters who would have a tv show anyway you know but then to throw in you know yeah. several adults with autism it's just amazing you know to have the honor to be able to show that in their walk through life and and those three those three episodes are available right now to watch at lifetime.com so check them out you know, put something in the comments, make your voice be heard. You got to just go through some of the characters' names and, and who they are, Jeez, because it's just, it, it, you know, okay. your mother's so, name is Puddin'. You get a mother named Puddin'. That's all you My mother's name is Puddin'. Puddin' Pie Precious. My son, we love some nicknames. So I'm Jeej. I'm Angie, but I'm Jeej. My daughter's Harper, but she's called The Nut, and you'll figure that out when you watch the show. Um, <laughs> my son is named Ames, but we call him Pootie. Uh, my caregiver, my son's caregiver and my living roommate and my best friend and my gay, he is Tyler T. And that is for Tyler Tylenol because he drives you so damn crazy. Like you need a Tylenol whenever you talk to him. So, <laughs> um, so we've got, we've got this huge cast of characters. Nikki is on it. He's an, another adult with autism. Cleet, Tyler's brother also has autism. So you know, it's just, it's amazing, the cast. And that's why I knew I had something years ago. I was like, these people are just too good. And these are the people to tell this story. Because it's, you know, you'll, people are going to listen. They're going to be entertained first and foremost. They're going to be educated sort of softly. They're not even going to be realizing that they're going to be educated and inspired. So, yeah, for, heavy on the humor, as we do. Heavy on the humor. We, we like to serve it up. Yep. I love that. And I especially, I just think, you know, in the screen age where we're all living in our sort of remote worlds on a screen, yeah. I just think being able to see a chosen family is so mm-hmm. important. Like it's, because I think it's the way we all live now. And what's so great about your chosen family and your, your actual family and your chosen family is all just one great blend together and just the Very joy. Diverse. I yeah. mean, FFS, the joy, you know, there is so much toxicity. Uh, around and if so, if you want a little a tile a, a, a meta or a virtual Tylenol relief from that pain, you got to watch the show because it's so great. And I, I will say, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to say that's one reason so many of the producers who worked on the show wanted to be on this particular show because there's just so much toxicity and and nastiness going on now. It's a feel good show. But not in a cheesy way. You know what I mean? It's like the new modern family. It's, you know, you'll laugh until, you know, you'll you'll laugh, you'll cry, everything in between. So, yeah. Sorry. I'd say a couple of things. Jeej um, is on her best behavior because she's usually much raunchier than this. So, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> to, to be honest. Sure how much I can, you know. <laughs> I know. We're going to get you back and we're going to loosen you up and it's going to go crazy. I think you're our new regular. And I want uh, to say, you know, Jeej yeah. is, again, G- so many things have been thrown at Jeej. She's a cancer survivor, you know, an autistic child, like, like, like all these lemons have been pelted at her and she has made the most delicious lemonade with her life and the people around her. And, and, and this little hitch in the show where it's now being paused for a moment is, is at least of our worries. 
thank God your story is out there that we keep telling it. Everyone needs to, to hear it and to know it and will love you if they take the time for, to watch Leave It to Gigi on Lifetime.com. It was so nice meeting you. I want to love seeing you guys. Gigi, enjoy your time in London. I hear you're in London for a little bit. And I, we will I, have- got here, I got here on Tuesday. I got here on Tuesday. And so at first I was going to go shopping and then I changed. I was like, I'm going to switch planes. I'm not going to buy clothes. I'm going to eat my way through London and I'm going to try to gain like 10 pounds. It's my, it's my goal. Revenge body. I'm going to try to pack on a lot of pounds. Well, I don't know. The, the food in London, in British food, is not something you want to eat. I love a lot of ethnic food, so I'm just, like, getting all over. Like, Indian food's my favorite, so we're just kind of back-to-back eating. Yeah, there is that. Great there, yeah. Indian food. And if you want yeah. to put on the pounds, English food is the food to eat. You know, <laughs> Stay dick, away from the bangers and mash in the spotted dish. Y'all can get back to the club and bust some of that out in a few minutes here. So... <laughs> <laughs> well, Gene, thank you. We'll have you back very soon. Thanks everyone it. for tuning. Thanks for tuning into the Wow Report this week. Um, thank you, Tom. Thank you, James. Gee, love and hugs. Um, and uh, you can catch previous episodes on the on Wow Presents or Radio Andy Sirius XM app. Um, same time, same place next week. Until then, go out and do something that makes the world go wow. wow.